Well, I wonder if you were to write yourself an autobiography, what would the title be? It's difficult to summarise a life in, in a book title, or even just a decade. But here are a few of the more popular autobiographies at the moment. My Dream Time by Ash Barty, looking at all her success in recent years as a tennis player. The Lyrics by Paul McCartney and the Beatles. Or some less creative titles include My Name is Barbara uh, by Barbara Streisand or I'm Liz Hayes by Liz Hayes. But one that stands out to me particularly as I had a look at these was The Happiest Man on Earth by Eddie Yahoo. It's one of the bestsellers in recent years and, and for good reason, actually. The title sounds rather presumptuous in a way, but when you find out that he's a Holocaust survivor, it becomes quite remarkable. He suffered such horrific injustice and saw death every day for years until he finally managed to escape and was found by the American army. And he now finds enormous joy and happiness in things that we might often take for granted. Family, friendship, laughter, walking outside, having hopes and dreams. His life was in this darkness for so long that these common graces of God made him call himself the happiest man on earth. But we who are Christian have even greater blessings than these common graces that Eddie so enjoys. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ, greater than any of these things. So, so if you were to think about the title of your story or what makes you, what would make you the happiest person on earth, would it revolve more around your earthly existence or your heavenly life with God? Is your life story more closely entwined with earth or with heaven? Well, in this section of, this final section of Luke chapter 1, we'll see that God's extraordinary mercy, it, it wraps us up into life with Him so that each of our stories are, are wrapped up in the grand story of His salvation across the ages. Our life is much more than what we see and feel here on earth. And today we'll talk through the story of John the Baptist's birth and his father's song about him, and then, and then at the end we'll kind of consider what it means for us. So please keep your Bibles open and we'll, we'll walk through the passage verse by verse. Come with me to verse 57. Well, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. You might remember that Elizabeth was old and barren, yet God showed her great mercy, giving, giving them a child in response to their prayers. So there's so much rejoicing. The neighbours and relatives all get together and they rejoice with them. Verse 59, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. So the family tradition was to name the baby boy after their father. But instead of little Zechariah Jr., Elizabeth speaks up. His name is to be John. Oh, that's, 
That's a bit of a surprise, everyone thinks. So they check with Dad. Verse, verse 62. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote these four words. His name is John. Everyone's shocked at this confirmation. And, and notice that since they made signs to him, this tells us that he's not only been deaf, sorry, not only been unable to speak, but also deaf for nine months. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they've done a great job being on the same page about this. Right? I think a lot, of, a lot of marriages today could take a leaf out of their book in terms of communication. They demonstrate this united, trusting obedience to God's command without faltering under the peer pressure. God has decided John's name, not, not culture, not tradition. God is in charge here because of their obedience. And as the angel promised way back at the start of chapter 1, Zechariah's speech is restored. Verse 64. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Nothing can come out of this newly opened mouth except praise for God who's shown this mercy. And soon we'll see prophecy as well. So verse 65, all the neighbours were filled with awe and they're talking about these things all across the hill country. This story of John's birth is one worth talking about. Throughout the town then and now, throughout the, throughout the whole world, 2,000 years later, it's worth talking about because of John's role and because of God's extraordinary mercy in this time. And we see that it's clearly God at work here. It's his direct intervention. Not only is this baby born to an old barren woman, but it's accompanied by this sign of lost speech and regained speech. And so verse 66, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. It's so obvious to everyone there that God is at work here. What, what's going to happen to this child? See, John's birth, it marks the end of silence. Not just nine months of his father's silence, but 400 years of prophetic silence since the last prophet before him. See, God is telling the world that he is about to come to redeem his people. Let's keep going to the next section. In, in verse 66, the people had asked, what then is this child going to be? And in verse 67, God answers. Verse 67, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. So we had just looked at this birth of this one child, of this old couple, and now we zoom out to the vast salvation plan of God across the ages. And note that this language of God coming to visit, paying them a visit, it actually, it's a good thing. It brings a sense of divine grace, not divine judgment. You know, like a, like a paramedic coming to help rather than a policeman coming to arrest. God coming to visit is something that his people would be looking forward to. And notice that it says the Lord has come. 
past tense. He has come, even though this is actually before the birth of Jesus. It seems that God's program of new covenant salvation has already started in John's birth. It's already kicked off. Verse 69 talks about this horn of salvation that God is raising up, or has raised up, that this powerful saving king has come from David's family. It'll bring salvation to God's people. And then it also speaks about Abraham. God shows this mercy according to his promise. He remembers his covenant, verse 72. The oath he swore to Abraham, verse 73. See this mercy that is finally here. They've all been waiting for it. It's been just as God has promised through the ages. Mercy, loving kindness that is undeserved. So in this zoomed out big picture of God's salvation, we can actually see the way John's story and the way our story is part of this much, much bigger thing that God is doing throughout the ages. I don't know if you've ever done this. It's like looking at your house on Google Maps. You're like, oh, there's my roof, there's the backyard. But then as you zoom out, you see the suburb. You see, zoom out, see the inner west, see Sydney, See New South Wales, Australia, the world. If you're a Christian, you can kind of do that in time. You, you might look at the way God has been working in your life in the last week, the last month, year, five years. Look back to when you first believed. Look back to the cross and the empty tomb where you were knighted, where you were united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Look back even further to the promises of the Old Testament. And then finally look back even further to the moment before the creation of the world when God chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight. See, see even before, well before we existed, God was working for our salvation. Now we can look back at all of that as our story because we've been wrapped up in this salvation plan that God is doing through the ages. But his saving mercy, it also points forward. God's purpose in this is not that his people get saved to sit back and eat, drink and be merry, but to serve him. Have a look at verse 74. To, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we'll talk a bit more about this at the end, but God's people are saved to serve him. We're saved to serve him. Now for part three, in the second half of Zechariah's song, he actually zooms back in. He's, he's zoomed out to the grand salvation plan and now he zooms back in to the particular role his son is going to have in this grand plan. Have a look at verse 76. Zechariah continues, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. So John is the last and greatest of all the prophets before Christ, because he is preparing the way for the Lord God himself. And why or what will he be doing? Verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. See, John, his role is to go on before the Lord, before Jesus comes, to tell people of salvation that can be found in him. But probably not the type of salvation that a lot of people were expecting. There's this earlier mention of enemies and people who hate us. And so Jews at the time might be thinking, oh, he's this saviour, he's going to save us from the Roman Empire. But the salvation is the forgiveness of sins. The real enemy is the sin inside each one of us. If God were to truly destroy his enemies, none of us would be left. But because of his tender mercy, he offers us forgiveness. See, salvation is not from human enemies through human might, but through divine forgiveness of sins. And we we often forget that because we've been enjoying it for 2,000 years. But at the time, this would have come as such a, a joyful surprise that salvation is not just for this life, but for eternity. And so Jesus is pictured here as this rising sun come to us from heaven, shining light on those in darkness and bringing peace. You know, we might actually be quite relieved that the rising sun is not so strong today. But picture a watchman in the night, shivering in the cold alone. He just can't wait for the sun to break through, for that light and warmth to finally come. This is the message that John is bringing. The light has come, is coming. Salvation is here. And this is salvation, this is rescue, far better than rescue from human enemies, far better than any earthly happiness or comfort. God himself has come to bring forgiveness, to shed light, to bring peace. Not just a feeling of inner peace or even more than peace between one another, but peace with the God of the universe. So there's a good reason we celebrate this every year. God himself has come, and that's what God sent John to prepare people for. So John has this very particular role to play in going on before the Lord. He's like the warm-up act before the headliner. Perhaps the title of his biography would be Messenger of Mercy or something like that. But what about yours? What's the book title for your life story? As we consider this story, John's birth, and what Zechariah says about him, let's, let's think about what this means for us. Well, if you're a Christian, it tells us that the title of our story could be Saved to Serve, Saved to Serve. We look back at Christ's completed work in saving us, and we look forward to serve him with our lives. We've been saved by this extraordinary, tender mercy, mercy we didn't deserve from a faithful God who keeps his promises. It means we can look back at the details of our story, the way God has worked in our lives and see his hand at work there in saving us, in making us more like Jesus. Well, back in October, 
at the start of Term 4, Dave led the home group leaders through this exercise, and some of you were there. The idea is that you look back over the different seasons of your life and consider how God was at work to bring you to faith in Christ, to, to greater holiness, shining a light and exposing your sin and working on you by the Holy Spirit. There's a picture of it that might come up on the screen. Dave called it the, the biography of the Holy Spirit's work in me. This is, this is mine. Hopefully, you can, I mean, you might feel free to read uh, my scrawling. But I found it extremely helpful to look back at the different seasons of my life to look back and give thanks to God for the way he was at work in keeping me as a Christian and growing me as a Christian. Over this holiday period, you might like to take some time to do that. I look back at my high school years and think, that could have gone any number of ways. (laughs) It's only by God's grace that I remained a Christian. But the reality is, that's true for every season of every one of us. It's only by God's mercy, his extraordinary mercy, that any one of us become or remain in his, in his fold, following him. It's only by his mercy, by his spirit through his word, that we're kept in him. We're saved by this extraordinary mercy in order that we might serve our extraordinary saviour. Saved to serve the author of our salvation. The other thing I found helpful about this is that it grows our anticipation for what God will do next in our our lives. What will the next season, the next chapter hold? What's the next chapter of your story? As a student or as a young parent, as a busy worker, or even as you head towards retirement, how might you serve him in the next season? How might he grow you in the next season? See, as we reflect on our story, being wrapped up in what God is doing, it helps us look back and look forward. Now let's have another look at verse 74 and just dig into that, what it looks like to be saved to serve. Well, God rescues us to enable us to serve him without fear. Without fear. Knowing that in Christ, our salvation is locked up, it's secure. We can serve God without fear, without fear of punishment for our failings, without fear of people's opinions, without fear of missing out. We have this freedom to throw everything we've got, throw the kitchen sink at our service of God, knowing that our eternity is safe and secure with Him, and knowing that what we have in Christ is far better than anything the world has to offer. God saves us that we might serve him. And in verse 75, in holiness and righteousness all our days, there's no retirement from the Christian life. I see this in many of your lives. But God calls us to serve him all of our days, that our lives might be his and his alone. Joe Mullins is a man who's demonstrated this to me and many others most profoundly. I used to be at church with him in Canberra and I'll close with his story. You you might remember from a year ago, I've mentioned him once in a previous sermon, but I mentioned him again because he died recently at 103 
and his funeral was just last week. And so Joe, he was converted as a teenager, but backslid as a Christian until when he was serving in World War II. One day he was hit in the helmet. You can see one of the holes there by Japanese snipers. Hit twice, actually. One went in the top and out the back, one went inside and around his head. And as he looked at his helmet with those gaping holes, he said it was as if God spoke to him saying, Joe, you have no right to be alive. Your only right to live is to give yourself back to me. And so that's what he did. He went as a missionary to India. He pastored several churches after returning to Australia. And after retirement, he was one of the most dedicated servants of God in the local church where I knew him. Praying unceasingly in church and at prayer meetings. Brazenly sharing the gospel with his car mechanic. Preaching at the local retirement village. Ever zealous for global missions. The only thing that ever stopped him was his aging body. And losing his wife 14 years ago, that, that didn't stop him at all, but he just threw himself into church community life. But now at last he is in glory, together with Edith, face to face with the Lord Jesus. They wrote about him in the Canberra Times, and this was the title of the article. How Joe dodged a bullet and dedicated his life. Saved to serve. Saved not just from Japanese bullets, but for eternity. From the consequences of his sin. Joe served his saviour without fear in holiness and redemption, in holiness and righteousness all his days. Now it'll look different for each of us, but let's pray that we might do the same. Let's pray.